Welcome to the Geekery in General podcast. My name is Al, and today I've got a friend of mine joining me today to discuss game design. If you've been listening to Creepy Pasta Theater, you will recognize her voice, and she also was on a strange and interesting. My friend Tracy Nicholas. How are you doing today, Tracy? Great. Thank you for asking. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Well, the holiday season is in full swing, and maybe you or a friend or a family member is interested in puzzles. That is what Tracy is going to talk about with us today. She is a game designer, and her company is called Mad Men and Heroes, where she specializes in, I believe you described it as escape room type puzzle boxes. That's right. Yes. So basically what the model is, is it is a subscription box that I mail out. Uh, Each of my storylines goes out once a month. And when you get the box, it has puzzles and ciphers and different uh, parts of the story. And what you have to do is you go through and you start by figuring out what you have to do, where you start. There's an introductory letter that introduces the story. And then you see if you can solve anything or you see if there's a website that you can go to and you explore a little bit. And then you're just like an escape room. You're off to the races. So we'll discuss more about your different uh, products that you make, but let's start with a little bit of introduction. So let's go back to when you were a child. Were there any sort of games that you usually liked playing, whether they were board games or card games or any other type of games? Well, you know, the usual board games, of course. Um, and I I did for, for a while, this is sort of a, a different path, but I was very into cribbage. I loved cribbage and I, I was in a, a league and we would play and, and this, that's the, the, the earliest that I can remember of picking something other than games that my parents bought. Yeah, that's actually something I don't think I've ever actually played it, but you're not alone. I mean, um, my friend Chad, who uh, used to podcast with me, him and his wife actually used to do the cribbage leagues as well. So I I was not aware that there's actually leagues for that game. Well, it was within my school. Oh, okay. and so it would be there there was a you know free period because I I mean it must have started in fifth grade playing. And so it was just, you know, a bunch of my classmates that we we formed our own league to to play on on our, you know, free time, probably for me to get out of having to go run around on the playground because I was not an athletic child. Yeah. (laughs) And then so in addition to cribbage, were there any board games or card games that you also enjoyed playing? Well, I did dip briefly into Dungeons and Dragons before it was cool, Uh, (laughs) but that was mostly because my big brother was really into it and I really looked up to him and I wanted to spend time with him. Yeah, in my case, when I first started getting introduced to Dungeons and Dragons, for me, it was my older cousin and then we also had some older family friends who played the game and it's like, or, or some older family friends who had some family friends who had kids who are older than me who played the game. And, you know, I remember back then it's like, I would watch them play the game. And I, even though I wasn't really understanding what was going on, I enjoy, it was still interesting and a lot of fun to watch, but eventually got into it and uh, things kind of went from there. Yeah. And I mean, you know, my dad taught me card games, like I, we would play poker or, you know, gin rummy, Um, And so that was always a lot of fun. And and, and by the time it got to the 80s, definitely Trivial Pursuit was a a big family favorite. Oh, yeah, the uh, that was another one of my fond memories from uh, when I was a kid playing board games. And if you've ever gone way, 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 way back in my catalog of uh, episodes, my first one, uh, my original co-host, Steve. Uh, we've known each other since we were like four years old, and we actually did an entire episode about some of the board games we used to play back when we were kids. It's, it's definitely interesting how board games have changed over the years. Well, you know, it, it is very interesting because when I was doing 
my research when I was first starting up my company, uh, you know, I was looking at different kinds of games and, and things like that. And I just, you know, went down so many rabbit holes, so, so many rabbit holes. And what I found out, and of course, you know, the child, the perennial childhood favorite of Monopoly, that was originally designed by a woman. It was called the Landlord's Game. And it was meant to demonstrate to people how the system that we have for like landlords and renting, how detrimental it is to the people who are on the renting side. So it was like intended originally to be a cautionary tale <laughs> against capitalism and the way that our you know capitalist system works because Basically, the theory behind it is that the landlord isn't um, adding value. It, it's like a financial theory about how we produce value in order to keep the economy going and, and how it's, it's bad for the economy. So <laughs> and then they turned it into a you know, fun filled children's game. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's a good point. Some of the games that, you know, we used to play as kids, you know, there's like all these different versions. And I mean, you mentioned Monopoly as an example. And, you know, there's like, uh, I mean, I don't know if they've got any down by your area, but where I live, they have like the Fox Valley version of it, where instead yeah. of like the, you know, the the normal properties, they have local ones. And I've seen ones for other cities like Milwaukee and uh, Madison. And I'm, I'm sure there's other cities that have the same thing. There's a Chicago one. There's an Evanston one, which is the town I live in. And then there's all, I mean, there's so many specialty versions of it. You can find it for any interest. Yeah. Like Lord, I've seen like Lord of the Rings Monopoly, Star Wars Monopoly, uh, Simpsons Monopoly. So that's, yeah, it's a, uh, they've certainly got the capitalism nailed down there with, uh, <laughs> you know catering to the variety of audiences right yeah well and you think of some of those games that we played like you know operation like that's pretty gruesome how are they thinking with those games when we were young but we loved them right that's true it's and you're right there's certain things that we don't think about and also just the complexity and the amount of setup that some of them have played that some of them uh involve like you know of course as kids we remember playing games like shoots and ladders and camp candy land where you open the board, you choose your color piece, roll the die, and you're just basically going around the uh, around the board. And it's like now there's games that like sometimes it takes longer to set up than yeah. to actually play the game. Um, and like what a good example, my friend Steve that I mentioned, uh, both of us are fans of the sci-fi series Firefly. I was just going to bring this up because I have the Firefly game. And, and it is so complex that I've never actually gotten to play it. Yeah, we, we actually have it too. And I have a couple of the expansions as well. And we did like the first time we played it, it took like three hours mm -hmm. between like setup and actually playing the game. And we were just actually doing the, just like the basic, you know, the intro adventure. So yeah, it's one of those games. If I had more time, I'd love to play it again, but it's like, you know, it's not like some of the older games where it's just like, hey, you want to come over for 30, 45 minutes and play a board game? It's like, okay, is your afternoon free? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I bought it originally. I had a group of my friends from high school a few years back decided that we wanted to rewatch the series. And so we started gathering every week or so maybe not quite that frequently but at somebody's house and we would watch an episode and then we'd just hang out and you know be social and I, I but this is also a group of friends that is, they're casual very casual gamers but they like a board game night so I thought ah oh, buy this it'll be great well they came and we start looking at it and like at a certain point someone's like let's play cards against humanity Oh, and then things just kind of devolved from there. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and that's just kind of the way that it goes with that group. I think that there was just enough wine at that point where everyone's like, mm, we don't want to start the game now. <laughs> so since you mentioned watching Firefly, is you have like a favorite episode of that show? 
I don't know that I could pick a favorite episode, but there's a couple of quotes that I really like. I, I like Captain Dummy Speak and the the one about, you know, I swear on my pretty floral bonnet. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, but, but it's, I mean, it's, it's just all so good. How can you pick one? Yeah, that's true. It's like, that was one of those shows that I don't think we'll ever see an equal to it in that, you know, it had that perfect blend of humor and action and adventure. And I'd have to say my favorite episodes, they're the back-to-back ones, Shingding and Safe, where okay. one of my favorite quotes in there, in, in Shingding, Mal is, you know, he's getting in a sword fight with a guy and he finally beats him using kind of underhanded means. And he's like, mercy is the hallmark of a great man, stabs the guy. I'm just a good man. Stabs him again. Okay, I'm not that bad. That's really funny. Uh, you know, the, the the actor who played Mal, he went on, I can't remember what the name of his next show was, but he played, was it a reporter? Um, yeah, Castle. Castle, yeah. So part of that show is that, um, is like with the relationship with his kid. And in in a Halloween episode, he comes out wearing the Captain Mal outfit and she looks at him and she looks him up and down and she goes, didn't you wear that like five years ago? <laughs> a friend of mine watched that show and he, there's also another little nod to Firefly in that um, his character said something in uh, Nathan Fillion, his character said something in Chinese and uh Someone asked him, did you study abroad? He's like, nah, TV show I used to watch. That's great. <laughs> so before we get too much into Firefly, again, may yes. rest in peace. Um, so let's get back to the, so but getting back to the topic here, how did you get first get interested in game design? Well, I had gotten a promotion at work and I was a strategic planner for a large organization. And I got this promotion and I thought, oh, I'm going to give myself a treat for, you know, getting promoted. And so I bought one of these games and this was back in maybe 2015. And I played it with a good friend of mine and, you know, we got into it and we're trying to figure it out. And by the time it was much pricier than what my boxes are. Um, and it was over a hundred bucks and I got through the whole thing and I was like, we must've missed something like that can't be it because essentially there were a few puzzles, maybe two, two, maybe. And, but it was a lot of reading. And so there was a journal that you read and it told, but it just told the story. And so we eventually emailed the company and said, what did we miss? And they're like, no, nah, that was it. And so it put that in the back of my mind. And when I decided that I was sick of corporate life and I didn't want to do that anymore, I thought back to the games and I thought, you know, I could do better. And so I just dove in and I started researching different kinds of puzzles and different kinds of games and just started looking around for stories and started developing the first storyline, which is called The Resistance, and just figured it out, really. So you mentioned you'd had the pleasure of working with corporate America and this ex kind of lackluster experience with a game inspired you to do your own. Now, I back when we did our episode on stage combat, you know, we talked in there how you actually also have a background in theater. Did your experience in theater um, ever inspire you to try to create uh, the games that you make? Or has that played a role in uh, how you approach designing these games? Well, I think that uh, early on, there was an overarching story for the resistance. Uh, people didn't have enough interest for me to continue to maintain it. But I did a bunch of recordings that carried that story along. And it's still it's still out there live somewhere um, in the world. And it so that was it was useful to have a background in theater to be able to do, you know, some of the voice acting and that kind of thing. I've always had an interest in writing and 
although this is a very specific kind of writing, it still it was, you know, fictionalizing. I don't have anything in any of the boxes that goes against something that has actually happened historically. But some of the boxes are fictionalized versions of what happened in order to make the, the game work. So stuff, I, I have made stuff up. And so that was really my background in writing, I think, that supported me there. Okay. So you mentioned the resistance and there's three products of yours that you currently make. The resistance, craft, and tower of the four. Let's start with the resistance. Uh, if you could explain how, so you mentioned that one used to have like an overarching story, but now it's, uh, are they just, is each month just like a self-contained story? Yes. Each month was always a self-contained story. And what happens is there, the, the overall premise is that we live in this dystopian future in which the government has been taking away more and more of our rights. And I swear this was fiction when I first wrote it. <laughs> uh, and they and and so corporations are having rights that you know used to belong to us and they start they, like the government has allowed them to start buying airspace over our homes and you know like anything below a couple of feet below our houses you know corporations can buy that as well and so the premise is that we need to form a resistance but it has to be secretive because we're worried about repercussions. And so we're training people to be effective resistance members. And each of the boxes is part of a resistance movement from history. So there's a box about the suffragettes and there's a box about Gandhi and there's a box about speakeasies. And so any time that people were fighting back against an oppressor, there's a different lesson, you know? And so the uh, suffragettes box is about utilizing propaganda effectively, right? And the speakeasy box is about, you know, finding the, the safe people to talk to, to go get your drink on. Um, and there's a box about the Italian Inquisition, which was a kinder, gentler Inquisition than the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> well, you know, uh, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, right? Exactly. Uh, but, and that one is about hiding in plain sight. So, you know, you're going to these balls and dancing, but you've got to figure out who the spy amongst you is. So there's different premises for each box and different lessons to learn about how to resist. What inspired you to come up with this story of uh, with the resistance, with the you know, idea of the dystopian future and, you know, using historical events or time periods as the inspiration? I started the business with a partner. I don't have one now. And we talked about what we were going to do. And our first thought was, absolutely, we do not want to do murder mysteries because there are so many out there. And we thought, what, what would a premise be that would have to do with trying to figure out these different puzzles? And so it occurred to us that if there was a resistance movement, you'd have to speak in code. And so it naturally flowed through. And part of that original box that she and I had worked on together, it was about a witch trial. Like, and that's why we thought there was more because we kept diving into the history of it. And so it was based on an actual witch trial. And then there was a complete fictional story around it. So we thought the model made sense. And we thought the idea of a resistance and having to speak in code it lent itself very nicely to this kind of box. And of course, being able to speak in code would be nice in today's world because, you know, you have Siri and Alexa always uh, listening in on you, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like there's a joke. It's like a, a friend asked me why I took down my Facebook account. Well, it's because I don't want Mark Zuckerberg knowing what I'm thinking all the time. I <laughs> laughed. He laughed. 
Siri laughed. Uh, Alexa laughed. It was a good time. It's it's funny because I do have a, a Google Home device. And sometimes just when I'm bored, it's in the kitchen. And when I'm bored, I sometimes just ask it really existential questions to see what it'll say. Here's something fun to try. If you if you've haven't done it already, ask it, which is better, Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, OK. I'll have to do that. Yeah, at least when when we I've asked it to an Alexa before and it, it gives actually a really cute answer. So and and I have asked what is the meaning of life? And it does, in fact, give the correct answer. Forty two. Uh huh. Outstanding. Yep. <laughs> so the resistance. Uh, so that one is, again, more of a you said the dystopian future and uses history as a background. Now, the next one is this is one I'm a, a bit familiar with because I did get a few of these boxes and that's the craft spelled C-R-A-A-A-F-T. So what is the, what is craft short for? (laughs) Uh, The Center for Research uh, and, uh, wait, you have to read it for me. I don't know. Uh, Center for, actually I have one of the boxes sitting over here. Center for Research and Archives of um, Accident. No, anecdotal folk tales. Anecdotal folk tales, right? So, yeah, definitely easier to just say craft. Yes. So the premise there is that the director of the center, Lydia Lore, is uh, there are these things that happen out in the world. Like there was a research team that they had sent out to study some mysterious happenings that were happening on the U.S.-Canadian border is is one story. And the research team has disappeared. So it's your job to trace their steps and figure out what happened to them. So that's one. There are there are other boxes that are, you know, oh, we're we're digging through our archives and we need you to sort some of this stuff out and figure this out. And so uh, the, the boxes on like curses uh, and charms, th- those are a little more this is this is research, but then a lot of them. There's there's one where you have to go to Japan and figure out a mystery in a manufacturing facility, and so all of them as you're solving these different puzzles and trying to figure out what's happening in these different areas. That that's what what you're doing. So you're you're basically you know hired out as a contractor. Okay, so this organization here it essentially investigates unusual occurrences. Right, right. And what was some of your inspiration for creating the uh, this particular series? Well, when I was first doing my research on this, I and, and this has been a passion. Folklore is a passion of mine, and I, it always has been. And so when I started to do the research, and this was back in 2018, I was just, you know, trying to figure out what I what stories I wanted. And I stumbled across a podcast called The Folklore Podcast. And I just started binge listening to it. And there were, <clears throat> I think, two and a half seasons out at that point. So I started listening and I'd listen when I was doing my yard work or I was taking a walk. And I got some great ideas from that. And I was like, that's that's great. And I enjoyed listening to the podcast. So I continued on. And that that was where I, I got a lot of my really good ideas. The rest of it was just online research and having an interest in the topic. And I think I did actually I did recognize some of the stories you mentioned, like investigating the disappearance of a team along the Canadian border and the Japanese one, because um, I do have those boxes. And then I, I know there's one with Baba Yaga I have and then one with uh, a Tibetan one. Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to look at those yet. Um, yeah, and and another one just went out yesterday. So that that and that one is set in Scotland. Okay, that one should be fun. Yeah. So then the next uh, one you have is called Tower of the Four. Yes, and Tower of the Four was a collaboration with a friend of mine who is an author, and that is one of his series of books, and. So basically, we took the stories and 
used them to create the different boxes. Now, as opposed to the other two series that are both 12 box series, this is only a six box series. And it takes you, it introduces you to each of the four main characters and takes you through how the, their origin stories, essentially. And so th that was a very different exercise because in the first two series, it was a very iterative process. And the, the process, you know, I'd build the, the puzzles and the story together and sort of go back and forth, like what, what kind of puzzle fits right here? And, and, and in, in doing the research, like the one set in Japan, I learned a very interesting thing back hundreds of years ago, they had a game and it was a card game and it was called Headman Hunter Fox. It is essentially the precursor to rock, paper, scissors. The headman can tell the hunter what to do. So headman wins with hunter. The hunter can kill the fox, right? So hunter wins with fox and the fox can outsmart the, the headman. And so finding appropriate uh, games and puzzles and stuff to the era, first of all, I always try and get some of that in there. You can't 100% do it. But, you know, trying to find what would be appropriate that there's one that is about uh, the Underground Railroad. And so there's a quilt puzzle in that because a lot of times quilts were used for particular messages. So, so always trying to find something that is appropriate to the storyline. So Tower of the Four, that one is, you said was a partnership with a, a friend. Now is that, was that one a limited series or is that one still ongoing? Well, that one is, um, we're, we're marketing it and trying to get the interest up. There is a potential for six more boxes but we didn't want to move forward yet until we get it a little more firmly established. So it's, it's on hiatus for now. And what type of a theme does tower of the four have? So it's set in a mystical world in which there are these people who are found as young adults and they are, they have uh, supernatural powers and they are taken to a school in which they're taught to use those powers. And they are formed into what is called a quad. And there are four you know, people in every quad, and each of them has a different skill set. So one can read and understand people's emotions and, and another it can, uh, you know, tap into people's thoughts. One is very physically, um, you know, has a great physical prowess. And the other one is connected to spirit. And so they, they need the others in order to uh, break open what is called their soul blocks. And the soul blocks once they're open, that's what allows them to utilize their power. So, and, and they have to bond as almost as family in order to break open the soul blocks. And so the origin stories of each of them, basically there are these seekers that go out into the world, into the villages and the cities, and they uh, find people that are going to be, you know, join these quads. And then they have to agree and they have to say, yes, you know, I, I want to be, a, a, it's called a quadrant. I want to be a quadrant. And then they hear this bell and the next day someone comes to collect them and take them off to the, the school. And you hear the story of who they were before they knew that they were going to the school and how the seeker finds them and how they decide that they, yes, indeed, they do want to go because they don't have to. Tower of the Four has a fantasy theme. Craft has more of a, you know, folklore, urban fan, almost like an urban fantasy type theme in a way. Uh, Resistance is more dystopian. Um, are there any other genres that you think you might want to explore in the future? 
Well, I am in the middle of doing some research on female outlaws, uh, women who behave badly and their their exploits, because I think that that would be a whole lot of fun because there's a lot of really great stories throughout history of women who, you know, going against expectations or definitely even outlaws. And so it, it just sounds like fun. Yeah, there's this bumper sticker I've seen every now and then. Well-behaved women rarely make history. So, but that sounds like it would be an interesting one. Uh, Cause yeah, I mean, there's a, there are female pirates. There's, you know, I'm sure there were female outlaws in the wild West and in, uh, you know, back in England, I'm sure there were female highwaymen there as well. Yeah, one of the boxes for the resistance, well, a couple of them are based on women, but one is uh, based on a woman. Her name was Wang Conger, and she is the person that Mulan was roughly shaped after. And she's a fascinating woman. And that's kind of how I got interested in the topic in the first place. And she was a warrior. Um, and it was de definitely a very different origin story. She had been a, an acrobat and sort of a circus performer. And she got, she was in a city and she got somehow trapped in an alleyway with some guys who meant her mischief. And the man who eventually became her husband came in and rescued her and fought them both. And she was like, that was really cool. And so that it turns out that he was part of a resistance movement that was about the, the government and uh, the taxes that they were uh, imposing, which were very, very steep. Yeah. And so it was about, you know, getting out into the villages and training these people to resist. And so she got caught up in the movement and that's how she became a warrior. Interesting. So yeah, it definitely sounds like that would be a, a fun se series to develop. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what goes into developing one of the boxes. So I have a few of the craft boxes and it includes, you know, the, the letter, it includes uh, the story, um, you know, the various puzzles and usually, a, you know, a couple little fun trinkets or so. Like the, the first one I got, the Japanese one had this just glittery, was it a Kasuni? Kitsuni. And I, cause I think I'd asked you this, like, do the trinkets that come in the boxes, are those just like more visual props, fun little extras or, but do they ever actually have anything to do with the story itself? Absolutely. Um, there are a lot of things that I've custom ordered, you know, like, scarf I, I ordered a scarf and the custom design on it is a puzzle oh cool um and then there's one i don't want to give it away but there's a candle that is included in a box and it is needed to solve the box interesting how does the process go when you are deciding what to do for one of your puzzle boxes well i land on the story first and decide what I want it to be. And then I kind of sketch out the overall arc of the story and how that's, how that's going to go. And then, as I said earlier, it's a very iterative process. I'll start to write a piece of the story and then figure out, does this, you know, is like, is this best that you have to solve all of the puzzles and you get one major answer at the end that and, and everything ends up ultimately on a final payoff web page. Some of them walk you through a series of web pages and you have to solve a puzzle to open that web page in order to be able to get to the next web page. And so I figure out how I want the physical process to go. And then when I start to write the puzzles, I see if they make sense. And I also work very hard to not have a to, to have a variety of puzzles in every single box. And part of that is a varying degree of difficulty because it's frustrating if you can't solve all of, you know, any of the puzzles. And so there are some that are easier and everybody's mind works in a different way. Um, there is one of my puzzle testers 
is dyslexic. And he is, you know, struggles with the word puzzles and the ciphers and things like that. But it's hilarious because when there's something that's more of a math kind of puzzle or imagery, he's always like, here's the answer. And everyone's like, <laughs> how, how do you even, he's like, it's obvious, it's obvious. And so it, it just, it just depends on how people think. And that's a good point you make about how some people can solve certain types of puzzles in a snap and then others it's like, and I, I think I was telling, mentioned this to you before when we were talking um, one time, how, cause uh, I was coming up with a puzzle that I wanted to use for a demo adventure I made. And, right. you know, since right. I know you're really into puzzles, I sent it to you and like, okay, can you kind of give me a, you know, just to make, see how long it would take you to solve it. Cause I wanted something that could be solved within a few minutes, not something that was going to take a long time. Cause one of the challenges about introducing puzzles into role-playing games is, yeah, there are, you can have what you think is going to be a really challenging, really complex, really well thought out puzzle. And you'll have one player that'll figure it out just like that. And then sometimes I've encountered groups where I could present a puzzle to them that was from a book made for six-year-olds and they'll spend like 30 minutes overthinking it. So that's that, that absolutely happens. And it's no fun if you're frustrated and stuck. So you never really want someone to get stuck. You want to make it challenging, but not over the top where they just, you know, throw up their hands and say, so what we do about that is they're, there's a web page that you get a card in each box that says, here are where the hints are. And there's a series. So it'll be, you know, a, a gentle hint, then there'll be a little more specific hint. And so you get a series of hints. And if you're still thinking, I have no idea what's going on, then there is a, here's how to solve it. And then you you read it and say, you know, you you add up these numbers or and and you tell them. And if they still if they're like, fine, I don't want to deal with it, then there is the answer. So you can never get stuck with our boxes. And and it's funny because you have the, the craft and in the resistance when we first started, I don't know why. I have no idea why I did this. I did all of the hints in rhyming couplets. I just, it just it's stuck. Like, yeah, it's the worst superpower ever, but I can make up a little rhyme for anything. And so I just started doing it. And, and, but then, you know, when I got to the craft, there ended up being it because it's more fanciful than the resistance. The, the puzzles are a little, can be a little more whimsical. And I was just like, you know what? They don't need more of it here. <laughs> Let's just give them the straightforward hints this time. I have to say it is helpful that you do have the the web page in there because you know I'm one of those people where it's like once, yes, I admit I've had to go to the web page many times. <laughs> but um, you know, it can be tricky sometimes because I you know there's certain types of puzzles I am familiar with, but then there's others I'm not. So it is nice how you do have that hint there so you can go in and makes it a lot easier to figure it out so you don't get you don't get frustrated and you know toss the box across the room. Right. And I think that too there you have to be careful deciding what messages are going to go with what kinds of puzzles because messages like a cipher that has a very aha moment. Like you 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 crack the code in your brain. At that point it's no fun to have to tediously go through two pages of actually translating the cipher back into English. And so those messages, cipher messages need to be pretty short because just the nature of it, the fun happens when you have the aha moment. And then you want it to quickly give you the message so you can move on and you don't want to be doing homework, right? And so it just depends on what the message needs to be when I decide which kind of puzzle it, it'll be it, it, for that particular instance. And sometimes you need to bend things a, a little bit 
and make some leaps of, you know, why would this be a math puzzle right here? And, and so you have to figure out the reasoning for it and tell those stories. And I think that maybe the most fun I had with doing that, uh, there is a book about Anansi, the spider god. And for that uh, particular box, it wasn't a straight ahead story. There are lots of different stories about this particular god. And he's a trickster. And as a trickster, he gets into trouble all the time and he gets other people into trouble all the time. So there were lots of individual stories. So that was a lot of fun because I could put, instead of just one big story, I could put all of these different stories and marry up puzzles with the stories that worked really well. So you do all this on your own. You you write all the puzzles. Well, I know you mentioned Tower of the Four you worked on with um, a friend but with craft and resistance, so you do everything on your own. You create the puzzles, you gather the images, you print it out, assemble the boxes. So, yeah, it's impressive that you can do that um, on your own and you know do it on a consistent basis. Because I imagine it must be tricky or stressful sometimes to be able to you know pump that out every month. Yeah, I mean, early on, uh, as I mentioned, I had a partner. She collaborated with me on three boxes. And so I did work with her on that. And then after that, I I had spent the better part of a year developing uh, the resistance. And so it, it, before I even started selling. And so it wasn't that pressure to create. And then I took, once I started selling the resistance, and I had all of the boxes completed. I took about six months to develop the craft and get those going. So it's never really been to the point where I've been under the gun. Like I've got to mail this out tomorrow and I don't know, you know, so there's that. Uh, and then of course I have to create all the web pages and I do all the design work on that as well, which was a, a learning curve but it's super easy for me to do now and it's pretty formulaic. So that's not that big of a deal. So I'm never doing it on a month to month basis. That would make me insane. <laughs> um, and it's funny because I would probably be one of my own worst customers because as you do, I get frustrated and I'm like, I just want to solve this puzzle. I'm, I'm going to look at the hints and I don't, you know, I, and I don't really like, escape rooms because there's a time limit and it just stresses me out. I don't want to deal with it. it it's, it's no fun because it's like you have to get it done in an hour. And that's what I like about the boxes of, you know, you can do it at your leisure. You can do part of a box and then come back to it later and it doesn't matter. So, and, and there are, I know there are boxes out there that allow you to like log into their website and, and, you know, they, they give you a timer, um, which just, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. Yeah. I'm, I, I prefer to do it at my own pace. It's like when I play video games, I always, I've never really liked the video games with time limits just because again, I don't like being rushed. I, so that's one thing that I do like is that, yeah, you can work on it on your own pace and, if it takes you two or three days to solve a box, you can take your time. Yeah. When I was a little kid, my dad was very into logic puzzles. And that was, it's just one of my early memories that we used to solve logic puzzles together. And that was just such a comfortable, easy kind of activity because there was no, you know, you just, you solved it when you solved it and you're just hanging out, having fun together. And so for me, that's what the, the fun part is. And I think I have, I've done many, many boxes on my own, but it's, I would consider that more research and, and, you know, figuring out what, what's working for people, what's not working. And it's, you know, it, the boxes have morphed over time into something different. The resistance, because it's supposed to be anonymous, it is a plain cardboard box that comes and it has just the logo on, on the front and that's it. When I got to the craft, I was seeing lots of other boxes where people have a fully printed box. And so 
I commissioned an artist to create the, the creature that you see on the box, which I love that creature so much. And uh, and we you know, designed that piece. And then I worked with the company that makes my boxes to get that put onto you know, the, the box correctly. And so that was, it was just, it's a very different feel. And I was in a very different place in designing. And because early on, I was like, oh my God, you know, it's because it, the boxes that are fully printed are of course much more expensive than the plain craft boxes. Um, and by craft, I don't mean the craft, I mean the brown boxes, which yeah. are called craft boxes. <laughs> so earlier you mentioned that you were looking into making a series with a focus on uh, women who misbehave or women who don't really follow stereotypical gender roles. Do you have plans to create any other new products in the future? Oh, you know, I haven't really thought about it. I, I do think that if I was going to do another series besides the the one about the women, I would do a second season of The Resistance because it is definitely the bestseller and people like it a lot. And it appeals to a broader group of people. It, it really, the, the audience for, well, both the craft and the resistance is more of an intellectual crowd. And, you know, the people who are, they, they listen to history podcasts for fun because they like history and people who listen to folklore podcasts for fun because they like folklore. And so it, it is a very, you know, like it, it's a broader appeal than just people that are into gaming. And that's nice to, you know, have have that availability. And, and so the resistance, I think, would be my top choice. I personally would probably prefer to write another season of The Craft because I love those stories so much. But I get my folklore fixes elsewhere, so I'm not going to worry about that. And is there any way to get any of your past products right now? Or you mentioned seasons. Do you like repeat it on like a yearly basis? Yes. So each of the, the, like I said, the craft and the resistance are both a 12 box series. So I'm not generating new ones at this point because I have, I'm working on other projects. And so every December, the speakeasy box comes out for the resistance Every, you know, October, the, the Baba Yaga box comes out for Halloween. And so trying to get those, um, you know, matched up kind of seasonally. But honestly, there is a schedule that you can go to on either of the websites that tells you what the, you know, a synopsis of each story that comes out each month. And so if you say you got someone a present, you got them a three-month subscription for Christmas last year. Well, you're not going to do that again because then you'll get the, you know, December, January, February, and you've already gotten those. So if you want to get any off-season box, all you have to do is email and that's completely fine. And, and speaking of email, so where can people find you if they want to uh, learn more about your games or if they want to contact you? So you can go to madmenandheroes.com and that will showcase all of the the games and you can purchase them there or you can just email at madmenandheroes.gmail.com and i understand that you also have a podcast that you've been working on i do the podcast is called folkloring and it is at the time of this recording debuting in uh at the middle of next week which is november 15th and it is about folklore that you can take into action. So things from the past, from folklore, from the, the tales, and how you incorporate activities around that folklore into your day-to-day -day life. And I co-host that with Tanya Carwin, and she has a series of classes that are about folk crafting and creating, you know, folk crafts that is spinning and weaving and blacksmithing. And so the classes are teaching people how to do those things. And I am also writing a book on the history of magic and witchcraft and looking at how 
it, the ideas have changed over time and how uh, people look at developing their own practice, whether they're pagan or a Wiccan or just your general witch, I guess. And, uh, you know, how and why people have done that over, you know, the past few centuries. And I know you're also involved with another podcast called the Folklore Podcast. I am. I am the theater and film correspondent for the Folklore Podcast, and I also get all the storytellers. And so I interview a lot of directors, some writers, and we we talk about how they develop their, their, their work. And that's been very interesting. We are also kicking off a podcast at the beginning of December called Stories from the Hearth. And it is a book at bedtime style podcast. And it is entirely read by listeners to the Folklore Podcast. And so it's been a lot of fun connecting with people and at various levels. I've had a lot of professional storytellers come in. They record it themselves and send it to me. And it's easy. I put the intro and the outro and go with it. Sometimes I have people jump on a Zoom call with me and we end up, I record it for them and then I do the editing. And it's just, it's been great. And everyone is so lovely and they just are excited about doing it. And we are definitely looking for more readers. So if anybody is interested, you can email me at folklorepodreaders at gmail.com. It sounds good. Well, I'd like to thank you for joining us, Tracy. And uh, as I said before, I did pick up some of the boxes. So any of the listeners, um, if you are into, if you run games, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or Call of Cthulhu or any game where you think that puzzles could play a part, you know, certainly recommend picking up a couple of boxes because there are some ideas in there that I might have to um, borrow. For... <laughs> feel free, feel free. Some of the games I run. So Thank you for joining us, uh, Tracy. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will talk to you next time. You have been listening to a presentation of Point of Insanity Game Studio. Visit us on the web at poigamestudio.com. Follow us on Twitter at poigamestudio. Look us up on Facebook and email us at poigamestudio at gmail.com.